Welcome to The Age of Trust, a special podcast series brought to you by Verizon that explores how we are securing our future for the fourth industrial revolution, with knowledge becoming critical to Australia's international economic strength. This podcast series explores themes that challenge the productivity of knowledge workers with secure and reliable communications. We discover the explosion in remote working and connectivity and how organizations will need to manage, secure, protect and organize intangible assets such as systems, processes, IP, data, personal information, corporate information and even competitive knowledge. Get ready for the new age of trust by Verizon. Welcome to the Age of Trust podcast. Today we're talking about public versus private 5G. What do businesses need to know about the decisions that they'll be making over the next 12 to 24 months about the way that 5G arrives and how to best make use of this new technology? Joining us today is Rob Joyce. He's the CTO of Nokia Oceana, CEO of the Communications Alliance, John Stanton, and Toby Redshaw, who's the Senior Vice President of Enterprise Innovation at Verizon Business Group. Today, we're talking about what are the considerations from a skills perspective about the investment made in the short term in private 5G and what that will mean for longer term for public 5G. Welcome to all of you. I'd like to start the conversation today by asking each of you, what are we talking about when we're talking about public versus private 5G? I might start with you, if that's okay, Rob. Can you give us just a a snapshot that what we need to understand when we're looking at those two different approaches to the technology? Sure. I think it's probably good to use an analogy, and and that's if we go back in time to to private branch exchanges. Once upon a time, in an office, we could have a fixed line from the, the telco provider, but as more and more telephones came to the office, people moved to what we call the private branch exchange. So that was an exchange almost placed in the office so we could dial each other in the office without going out to the the fixed line network. And I think what we're seeing here in the the age of 5G and IoT is that offices, well, not offices, but even factories, ports, et cetera, will want their own network in order to control what goes on within their own premises. So that's opposed to 5G in the public domain, which would be we'd cover the port using the the plain old public 5G network from a a service provider, and then the port would uh, place its devices within the public network. And Toby, why would the private approach be something that people are considering? Where are we at in terms of the availability of these technologies? So let me back up a little bit and just kind of level set on 5G versus 4G, right? So 4G is a network that connects end devices to other end devices through a network. The big difference with 5G, because it's a software-defined cloud-native network, which is techno gobbledygook for it actually has bog-standard compute at the edge of the network. So 5G is a communications network with a supercomputer in your back pocket really, really close to the endpoint. So that's very different from what you can do with that. And if you're an enterprise or a business or a port, then I can do some really clever things with 5G on that compute at the edge with the really fat bandwidth, low latency network. So if you think about public and private sort of as consumer and non-consumer, that starts to make a lot of sense, right? You can build things, special things for consumers that they get on their end device, 
But if I'm putting in communications and compute into a port or into a hospital or into a factory, you want that to be private and to be an isolated network in their own shop because they're going to also want to have applications and platforms living on that, like cognitive video, like AI at the edge, or clever AR or VR applications. So that's kind of how I see that difference. Where we are in sort of the evolution, and there's two really important points about this, is it's going to go big in 21 and 22, but because 5G is so different than 4G, and while it's conceptually pretty simple, it's one of those things like... um, It's like Australian rules football, right? It's easy to explain and you can watch it and you understand it and you go, okay, that's great. But if they grabbed you and put you out on the pitch, you get murdered, right? Australian rules football is conceptually simple, but it's difficult to do. It takes experience and years on the pitch. So the same thing with 5G is even though 5G is ready now and platforms are being built and they're coming out of the lab and they're going into customer sites, You really want to get your hands on it so when you're on the pitch, you have that experience, you have the bumps and the bruises. You learn this stuff by doing, not uh, not by reading about it or watching a PowerPoint. So the short answer to your question is, look, it's ready now. It's the early days, but it's such a pivotal technology. You need to get your hands on it and get stuck in. John, I was going to ask if you wanted to say something here. I think there's a, there's a reasonably exciting future, both on the public and private 5G front in Australia. The major carriers, uh, telecommunications carriers in Australia, are reasonably advanced by world standards in uh, the, uh, the speed and, and uh, scale on which they're rolling out 5G. And I think they'll be very keen to make headway offering private 5G as a service to Australian customers. And at the same time, we have a lot of industrial players, for example, in the mining sector in Australia, who have already made very significant investments in networks that they're running, incorporating some pre-5G elements, uh, for example, to do uh, remote mining operations and uh, and remote control of massive trucks and, and that sort of thing. So there is both, I think, a reasonable capability on the the carrier side and some fairly sophisticated customers. And it'll be very interesting to see what turns out to be the greater value proposition for those sorts of installations, be it mines or airports or ports, uh, investing in your own private network or leveraging off the the capabilities of the, the telco carriers in Australia. Just building on that and something you said earlier, Toby, and this is a question for everyone, when you're talking about you know investing in a private network because there's, I guess, more parameters about where you're adding those applications and where all the exciting and interesting stuff comes that might be more specific to your organisation, you also said it's about AFL. You don't really know what you don't know until you get on the field. Do we have the skills right now in an organisation to be implementing a private network and being able to push it and understand where the value is? Where are we at from a skills perspective? So from a skills perspective, it's really not that hard, right? Um, We don't worry a lot about network engineering. We're really good at it. It's We'd be out of business if we weren't. We have fantastic partners like Nokia. The practical part is using these new platforms, right? If I'm going to take dumb $50 cameras and turn those into intelligent sensors in real time in a factory or in a port or in a healthcare center, it's how do I change 
for my business? How do I manage that? How do I start using that platform, not the network? I mean, you need to have a really good network provider and you need to have a really good network partner, but we don't show up and expect anybody to be network experts. In fact, quite the opposite. We expect you to be manufacturing experts or mining experts or healthcare experts. And then together we co-innovate around that. Same thing with AI at the edge, pervasive AI. Here's how we think about it for any of those verticals. We think these platforms will make your operation proactive, preventative, predictive, pattern matched, permissioned, and precise, which means less defects, lower cost structure, better output. And I've recently been you know, on the floor of a 2 million square foot, well, just before COVID kicked in, 2 million square foot automotive factory that's labeled as one of the best of in America in Detroit, one of the leading showcase CPG factories. And these platforms will take those best leading factories to the next level. So for any manufacturing environment, as an example, I am sure there's a a great positive impact to be had. Yeah, and I think I I just come in there. I mean, you know, I've been building networks for for 30 years. And back in the day, a cellular network had a a radio tower. It then had a BSC. It then had a media gateway. Then had an MSC and an HLR. And what's really encourage me as I've moved forward in the career is things have got, okay, from a physical point of view, simpler and simpler. I mean, if we look at a private enterprise network now, it literally is a one box solution. You know, the Nokia product, the NDAC solution that we have here, and, and you know, we obviously sell around the world now, but the NDAC solution is, is a one box solution. And that cloud edge server now that could go at the customer's premises is everything in one box. And you connect that to the, the standard radios for the coverage but that edge cloud server is doing the, the switching, it's doing the routing, it's doing the firewall, it's doing the AI, it's doing the edge cloud compute. So everything in a one-stop shop. So I think this makes the point that you made, should it be a, a professional install? Should it be the, the shop floor install? I think it can be both. I think for customers that are, are happy installing their own systems, they can do it using systems like this from us and other vendors. And for those that are not happy, either the communications partner can install it and give a managed service or the telco provider can install it and give a managed service. And I think the key here though is Spectrum. We haven't mentioned Spectrum yet and Spectrum to me is is a key point around this private wireless space and, and I'm sure we'll come on to that. Can we just grab that now, Rob, and if you can talk us through your views on Spectrum and John, I think this is an area that you'll have views as well. So Spectrum. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have your own network, you need your own spectrum. I think that's fair. Either you would use unlicensed spectrum for a private network, or you would somehow gain access to spectrum. You can gain access to spectrum through a number of routes. You could either get an allocation from the the regulator. Maybe they've got some private wireless slices that you can apply for and license. And we've seen the German administration do something similar where they've partitioned part of the 5G spectrum purely for, for enterprise. Or you could, let's call it, borrow or lease from Spectrum from somebody else. So we can imagine Spectrum trading now. So potentially you could use Spectrum from an operator uh, in a geofenced area. So a mine in the, the outback of Australia, they could use a portion of the Spectrum that's also used in downtown Sydney, but they're so far away, there wouldn't be any interference. So for me, the Spectrum policy of the, the regulator, or the in this case, the Australian government, is key to encouraging private wireless in this space? Well, I think the good news in Australia is that the, the Spectrum regulator, the ACMA, has got the uh, the issue of private 5G 
squarely on its radar screen and has been reflecting that in the, the five-year spectrum outlook that it puts together on a sort of rolling annual basis. And they have allocated, I think, 400 megahertz for uh, apparatus license services in the, uh, the millimetre wave bands already, which can be used for mobile services. For example, if a 5G private network was put in at an airport and included IoT-based devices or vehicles on the move. There's also an allocation spectrum that they have in millimetre wave bands for apparatus, so for area-wide licences. They've also identified spectrum much higher up in the 60 to 70 gigahertz band, and I believe also down in much lower frequencies in the C-band area. So they're trying to create a range of different spectrum options and licence types which could be used for 5G private services. So uh, without being able to attest that that will always work for every application and aspiration in the 5G private arena, I think that we look to at least have a reasonable framework of available spectrum for those purposes. Yeah, I think it's the crux. It's the lifeblood for me. Being a radio engineer, it would be a real shame that we sort of somehow hamstring these industries in moving forward. I think if we can imagine every factory needing to automate in the future, then there's going to be a lot of spectrum required. But we don't want an overly assertive spectrum management policy on that either. These guys need to reskill, set up new lines every week, potentially. So they may need less bandwidth one week, more bandwidth another week. So we need some sort of flexible and I'm not saying a free-for-all unlicensed um, unregulated market, but we definitely need some really clever ways of allocation of spectrum for these industries. Can I um, zoom out and have a look? We've touched on a number of these things already when you're talking spectrum earlier about some of the things that Germany's doing. Toby, you've mentioned car manufacturing in Detroit. And John, you've mentioned the mining. So when we look at global maturity, where would Australian businesses look to get ideas and learnings from practical experience from across the world. Are we seeing pockets of excellence? What do we see globally um, and how can we learn from that locally? So two parts to that. The good news is, especially in, in some of the more intensive areas like manufacturing or healthcare, if you've been a little bit behind the curve, you have very cleverly let some of the tech that you really don't want slip by and now you can jump to the latest, latest thing, right? If you'd spent a bunch of money 18 months ago and kitted out your factory, you'd be sitting there going, oh, I wish I'd have got some of that 5G stuff, right? So that's kind of good timing. Across the world, there's really two main areas that you see 5G going live, and that's in 5G labs, like the lab network that we built out, including a fabulous one in London, where we bring in customers. And what really happens is it's kind of back to my Australian rules football, terrible metaphor. Once they come in and they get their hands on 5G and they monkey around with it and they play with it and they spend a day in the lab, they all end with, oh, you know what I would do with this? And then you're, then you're off to the races. The second tier is we got so much demand, we started building these labs with customers inside their facilities. So it's their innovation center lit up with 5G. We've got a healthcare consortium. We've got a giant software company doing it. Our Veterans Administration Hospital is doing it. We've lit up a whole town in a small town in Florida and built one of these. So you're starting to see that. But the good news for Australia is 
this is just the beginning. And the short answer to your question is you need to go pick a great partner that can show you these cases and walk you through what the other leading edge folks are doing with this. But you're not technically not behind yet. But a year or two from now, if you're not far down the path, your operational cost structure and your output, whether it's manufacturing or ports or healthcare, will be behind others. So there is a little bit of uh, a little bit of urgency. Rob, you've just come from Qatar, so a view of the world from a different part of the globe. What, what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, in Qatar, the big thing was oil and gas, and we really had some big contracts with the oil and gas manufacturers as an operator back then. But as Toby said, if you'd have gone back 18 months, there was a bit of a, a mismatch of standards. There was the LoRa camp, the Sigfox camp. Was it going to be narrowband IoT? Was it going to be LTE? Was, was it old GSM? And I think there's clarity now happening. So whilst we saw the oil and gas industry moving towards 5G there, and we did some great use cases, again, we did a flying drone connected by 5G, a connected yacht in Qatar, maybe more the glitzy and the glamorous 5G use cases. But we did seriously have a, a view on smart cities, on the World Cup that was going to come there, how we connect the stadiums, how we connect all the infrastructure surrounding the stadiums. But roll on to Australia. What, what I've seen here is the mines are amazing. We've seen use cases in the, the mines now. And I'll give you an example. The trucks in the mines, these massive machines that carry the, the rubble from the mines or the ore from the mines, these things used to be manually driven. Fine. And we've now automated that. But what that means is that these trucks that now maybe drive 100 kilometers plus a day from the mine to the port, the road that they go down can be maintained much less. Why? Because these things drive in a perfectly straight line. And so rather than tarmac the whole road, you can just tarmac two one meter strips for 100 kilometers because these things never deviate from the tracking of the truck. So an example like that has saved millions in tarmac as opposed to not just the the OPEX uh, reduction because there's no longer a, a guy sat in the truck. So it's these secondary savings that we're seeing and, and it really amazes me. And as I say, I think it's quite an exciting market to be in, especially with the mines, especially with the industry here in Australia. And yeah, looking forward to seeing some even crazier use cases as we move forward. Yeah, I think it's interesting from an Australian perspective, the size of our population to uh, the size of our geography, how we start thinking about 5G and those cost savings just over vast distances. And I guess that's where the interesting stuff comes, how we can be creative about what the applications might look like. John, this might be a good time to ask, you know, what you're seeing when we're talking about some of the bigger picture sort of policy discussions around 5G. We've talked about ACMA before and some of the spectrum discussions. What else are you hearing that are really important conversations right now to make sure we fully capitalise on these technologies? Well, I'd be the last one to assert that I know how it's going to play out in Australia because there will be a range of different types of customers with different levels of sophistication and you know, network capability. And uh, I'm looking, for example, to see how much of the demand for private 5G in Australia will be met through you know, network slicing offered by uh, telco providers who may well be partnering with IoT network operators in Australia, which are burgeoning now, to create an, an integrated uh, offering that is effectively 5G private service, but, but contained within Network Slice. Uh, I, I'm fascinated to see how the, the market will split up because not everybody is going to be as capable as a big mining company like RTZ, for example, uh, 
of putting in place its own system with all of the intricacies that that involves, even if they've got fantastic partners, as I'm sure many of them will. So uh, the way that the market divides itself will, will be very interesting to look at in Australia because, after all, we are, we're not the biggest market in the world. The other thing I think that is something to look out for is the ever-increasing focus on national and cyber security in Australia. We've recently seen the government put out its 2020 cyber security strategy. It's now released an exposure draft of the new legislation it wants to get through the parliament this year which is about protecting the security of critical infrastructure and systems of national significance. And uh, this legislation looks at 11 different sectors across the Australian industrial landscape, everything from data storage to defence and higher education, food and grocery, transport, water, sewage, and will be requiring new levels of cybersecurity planning and reporting and prevention by players in all of the sectors. And where private 5G networks come into play, there will no doubt be interest by the security agencies and the legislators around how you ensure security in a, uh, a network, you know, a comms network that is you know, predominantly software-based. So there will be a lot of considerations that uh, the players will have to take into account. I'm sure they will successfully, but uh, as these sorts of 5G private networks and systems get deployed, there will be very significant security requirements around them as well, and I'm sure that will have to be reflected in everybody's thinking. Let me just pile on to that one. The 5G, as that spec was built, there was a lot of effort put into the security aspects of it, right? So it's inherently more secure. Private 5G will actually live at the edge of the network, and the application can just communicate within the factory and to the end users at the factory or the stadium or the healthcare center and never go back across the network. So that is also more secure. But and I've been looking neck deep on the security stuff for decades. The next four or five years of hacking is going to make the last 10 years look like kindergarten. So it is really, really a serious consideration. And it's not just the typical security architectural set of issues you've got to think through. You've got to think through the new kit and you've got to think through your partnerships on this. If you want to scare yourself, Google my last name and dark web. And there's an old paper about what they were doing in the dark web and how they were changing it. And all of that stuff has come true which will explain why the next few years is going to be really, uh, really, really difficult. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I think that the nature of 5G actually gives it inherent security capabilities that no other technology before has had the ability to detect and react in real time to increased threat, I think is a real core strength of 5G. But as you say, at the same time, the breadth of the threat plane and the sophistication of the attacks is increasing as well. So it's really game on. Yeah, and, and I think just echoing both gents' points, if you want a secure private 5G network, then it's not connected to anything, if you see what I mean. You have this, this edged cloud at the edge, and that's it. It's not connected to the internet. It's not connected to the Opco's network. So you can have standalone private 5G networks, and the only way you're going to hack that is either over the air, as we've said, through the radio interface, or physically getting on site and plugging in. So if you're going to control mission-critical infrastructure at a mine or at an airport, then you can physically detach it from the rest of the world. That said, many of these, if they are provided by a telco, then it's going to be an edge cloud. It is connected to a public wider network. 
and then we have to you know think about the security but as my peers said there's all sorts of 3gpp security mechanisms in place on the the radio encryption on the air interface side on the transport side even within the cloud itself and then also more interestingly in the layers we talked about network slicing the last thing we want to do is a hacker to actually he's got inside the network but then he can go transition through the layers into your layer so again we need security between the layers not just physical security not just virtual security but also network slicing layer security as well so it's a multi-dimensional security problem here but uh, i'm fairly sure that so far so good but as as toby said the it's an ever evolving threat and that's why we need these network security orchestration elements that continuously monitor network continuously monitor the connected devices and if we start seeing some anomalies then we know where to focus and that may be that devices have been hacked so we push a firmware update to those devices or we actually deny service to those devices and this all can't be done manually it has to be done automatically through a, a service or a security orchestrator so let me add something to that right it's almost ironic that all this cool new fancy 5G stuff that's really going to have both the back of the house and front of the house impact better customer engagement better customer life cycle value less defects better operational control real time ai at the edge that cool new shiny stuff makes your network even more and more important right i talk to a lot of customers that get excited about the new stuff and transforming what they're doing and i say look now the network includes part of your compute topology you really got to pay attention to your architecture and how you're managing your wan and your security layers and the security architecture and your endpoints what's happened during this crisis is we've expanded the amount of endpoints and we've sometimes done that in very very quick ways and what's going to happen over the next couple of years is we're going to massively expand the iot footprint so it's it's a very target rich environment for the bad actors so while it's really important to focus on the innovation and really impacting your pnl through that you really got to double down on the seriousness of the network layer underneath that that all makes complete sense once we're proliferating you know the number of you know points where the technology is reaching anything then there's another attack vector so i wanted to just bring this to a close with a question around you mentioned you know response to covid and things being built very quickly what are we seeing in 21 and 22 about why these applications of 5g technologies when it comes to things like emergency management to help them things like 5g really addressing big important problems you mentioned earlier rob drones and you know how do we see and um, we've had bushfires in australia we've had covid there's a lot of discussion about the way the technology impacts our ability to provide better emergency management any thoughts on that as we wrap up i think um for me it's build it and they will come this network whilst as you say initially 5g in, in australia is mainly concentrating on the the embb or the, the the next sexy 5g phone in somebody's pocket it's mainly consumer the coverage is still limited because we're in the the 3.5 gigahertz band but as we deploy 5g in, in much um wider areas using old 3g and 4g bands that will get refarmed or they can be partially refarmed using dynamic spectrum sharing then when we get down to the 700s the 850s and even the 450 megahertz band then these cells can be hundreds of kilometers and when we've got coverage out to the you know the extremes of australia and even through satellite coverage eventually 
then the network's there. It's a blank canvas in, in my view. And it's then for the application developers, and not, I'm not just talking software, I'm talking physical applications such as drones, such as firefighters, etc. We've given them a blank canvas. We've given them latencies down to one millisecond. We've given them a wide area coverage. We've given them bandwidths up to five gigabits per second in the extreme. And it's then for the Tobys and the pioneers to then decide how they can use this, let's call it high-speed internet in the sky to connect society and, and connect these use cases. So that's the crux. The crux is getting 5G across the country. And once that's there, then anything is possible, I'd say. Let me pile on because I, I totally agree, but I think there's more to it, right? I've looked at a bunch of different countries and how hard the healthcare folks have been working during this crisis. And it's really, it's really amazing and fantastic and admirable. But the healthcare industry, when you look at it from a sort of supply chain or asset utilization or effectiveness is one of the least well-run in the world, right? Because it's grown up in little silos, because the technology has changed so much from a supply chain, a patient engagement, AI engagement, asset utilization, there's a huge opportunity to take that to the next level. Two of our co-innovation hubs in the U.S. right now, one is at Emory University with a consortium of healthcare folks, and the other is at Lake Nona, which includes Medical City, which is 10 different healthcare companies with their showcase sites uh, down there. We've already got in surgical theaters, the ability to wear a HoloLens set of glasses and see the MRI scan floating over the patient or juxtaposed right on top of the patient projected there, which is improving the efficacy of surgery, the cycle time, the cost structure, and of course, the quality, um, the ability to do massive IoT across the hospital is an asset utilization play. So while as we expand the networks to broader and broader geographies, great things are going to happen. But the entire efficiency of a hospital, think of AI at the edge in embedded 5G so that you can have AI in real time. You can become proactive and preventative and pattern matched and precise, which hospital do you want to go to? The one that has all those P's that I just talked about or the old one running on the old kit? So look, honestly, I love all of this stuff and I'm really excited about it. But the two things that really get me out of bed is we are going to revolutionize healthcare and we're going to change education. And hopefully do that in a way that breaks through socioeconomic and geographic barriers because it's a network-based technology. And I'm and I'm very excited about what's going to come out of Australia, right? I, I went there in the mid-80s to set up one of the very first international sites for FedEx. And they did amazing things. And we take learning back from Australia into the rest of the network. My technology people that were down there were marvelous when I was CIO of Aviva. And in 2004, when Ed Zander took over Motorola and I was at Motorola, we scoured the earth for two companies to come and talk to us to up our game and in innovation, just two companies on earth. One was the digital media people from MTV who were quite unusual. And number two was Rio Tinto, just shockingly, shockingly good. And we were all thinking, what are Aussie miners gonna teach smart Motorola? And they were brilliant, they're absolutely brilliant. So I'm super excited about what comes out of Oz as we start to layer in this cool technology. John, I might uh, ask you for some final thoughts that the enthusiasm and the potential that Toby's just talked through from an Australian perspective, is that shared, do you think? Is that reflective of what you're hearing and seeing? 
Oh, yes, it is. I mean, I think with each generation, for example, of mobile technology that we've seen, and they tend to roll around once a decade or so, Australia has a pretty interesting record of, of really embracing new networks and seeing very strong take-up and use of that for applications across the country. And maybe it has something to do with the, having such a, a small population density, but so many of our resources and sources of national income you know, in far-flung places. So I think that there is a really warm embrace happening right now in Australia of 5G technology, which I think is exciting. And also, you know, combining that with IoT applications. And one of the things that I hope we'll see also from the advent of 5G in Australia is that there will be a positive impact on the resilience of telecommunications infrastructure across Australia. Before COVID, we found ourselves in the grip of probably the, uh, the worst bushfire season in living memory in Australia. And out of that experience has come a much stronger shared purpose among telecommunications players, energy players and emergency services organisations to try and make sure that we can get better at ensuring that communications infrastructure can stand up to those sorts of national disaster threats, be they bushfires or cyclones and floods, which we're going to see a bit more of this year, apparently, thanks to La Nina. And I think that the, the greater predictive ability, real-time monitoring capabilities of 5G and IoT combined is going to help all of those stakeholders to ensure that where disasters happen, we're better informed at being able to predict their path, to prepare for them, to prevent uh, loss of mains electricity power, jeopardising communications capabilities, and using many of the tools we've talked about drones already or mentioned them that can come and help in that overall you know, security of connectivity equation, which is so difficult to maintain at times during natural disasters. So I think that's a that's another really positive potential benefit from the advent of these technologies. I think we'll leave it there. 2021 is shaping up to be a really important year. John Stanton, Toby Redshaw and Rob Joyce, thank you so much for joining the Age of Trust podcast today. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks. Enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed this special Verizon Age of Trust podcast. For more, keep tuning in to Innovation Oz podcast or go to verizon.com.